0: Good morning, good morning. I'm glad to start Ephesians 2. Are you guys ready for that? If you're looking in your notes, there's a lot of fill in the blanks today. That means what? It means a lot of work that we're going to do today. Uh, We've been doing a lot of work in our last three weeks of Ephesians. For the first time, you guys are aware now, as a church, we're going through the entire book of Ephesians, verse by verse, word by word, uh, making our way through the entire book. And so that's why it took us three weeks to get through chapter one. And what do we discuss in chapter one? The first week, we discussed how God the Father chose his people before the foundation of the world. All right, in verses three to six, we read that. In verses seven through ten, we looked at how God the Son has accomplished redemption For his people that he's redeemed us that he's called us out that he's made a way for us to have a relationship with the father and in verses 11 through 14 we looked at how God the spirit applies redemption to us and assures us of the inheritance that is ours that we have an assurance of our, uh, of our salvation, that there is an assurance of our inheritance, that He has called us, that the Spirit of God uh, has applied redemption to us. And last week, Danny talked about this big word that you hear thrown around in church, if you've been in church around, the supremacy of Jesus, that He is supreme, that He rules over all, that He is in full control, that He is on the throne, and that He's in a right position. He's in a position of honor, in a position of power, that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Right, we looked at how Christ is most exalted and that he reigns and he's full all, all control over all things. And these rich truths, church, mean so much for us to grasp. It, it is so important. I can't stress it enough. And that's why we decided, Danny and I, also to midweek to throw out a blog every week to get us continually to think about the truths that we're discussing on a Sunday. Because the truth is that the 30 minutes or so that we have to preach does not do enough to really dig into what it means that you are a child of God, that you are a son, that you are a daughter, that you've been adopted, that you have equal rights with jesus that you are seated at his throne that you are in that position it's it, it, the truth should cause us to be filled with awe and wonder and so our discussion on 30 minutes on a sunday man is not to truly grasp that and so if you weren't here um i encourage you as i've just mentioned we have blogs that have been posted every week i'm um, just going a little bit deeper or just kind of Causing us to stop and to really think about some of the truths that were spoken on that Sunday. And so just go ahead and check that out. It's on our website. It's on our Facebook page. So you can do that. Also, if you need some of the notes, Danny and I or someone will get them to you. But today, we're just looking at the first five verses, guys. The first five verses of chapter two. And I want to stop at the first five verses because there's so much in those five, as you can tell by the notes and the fill in the blanks, that there's uh, many things that we're going to go through. But I believe that the first five verses brings out this truth that many of us in our Christian lives can go our entire lives not fully understanding. Right. Not truly understanding. I'm talking about the power that it took for Jesus to save us, the power that saved us. I'm talking about the power behind that has made you a Christian, a Christ follower. I'm talking about the very big truth today, which is in your notes for the, fir- the first bullet, guys. And I'm going to try to do my best to work through it slowly. We don't have the projector behind me. But the big point today is that the work of God to save you required great power. So you can go ahead and fill that in. The work of God to save you required massive power. You can put massive, you can put power, you are great, whatever word you want to put there. Just know that it was massive. The power behind you becoming a Christian, a Christ Christ follower, is great power, required great power. And that's the big point for our entire time here today. If you are a Christian today, meaning that you've been called out into the family of God through faith in Christ, that there was power in order to get you saved. And this is crucial for us to understand. Not fully understanding this truth, church, can cause a great stumble in our lives as we walk on uh, following Christ. It can cause us to fall one into pride, believing that somehow, somewhere we were able to save ourselves. That the work of God, that the, the us coming into Christ, somehow we had a part in that. That we, ourselves, were able to make a decision to follow Jesus. That we uh, 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 we done something to save us. It can rob us also of being in total awe of God. Like the song we just sang, the the beautiful truth that he's kind, that he has saved, that we wake up because of his goodness, that all that we should have every day as Christians, if we don't fully understand the power behind what has caused us to be saved, can really uh, cheapen that. It can cheapen the death of Jesus, the death, death of Jesus on the cross for us to be redeemed to the Father. Not understanding the power behind our salvation will also cause some identity issues. Why? Because we will not know fully what it took us, who we were before Christ, and who we are now in Christ, and our position now in Christ. So I want to read right now for us uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It's right there in your notes. I'm reading. This is from the ESV version of the Bible. And so if you want to follow along, it's in your notes or in your Bible in front of you. So verse 1 opens up this one. It says, And you were dead. You were what? Dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince, of, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, But God, Being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you've been saved. And I want to break these verses down into two main categories, two main parts. The first few points that we're going to talk about today, part one of our message, will deal with before Christ. Who we were before Christ. In the second half of today's time together, we're going to look at who God is and the power and, again, the wonder and what it took for us to be saved, the power behind our salvation. Now, uh, when I became a Christian at age 17, I struggled with what it really meant that I was saved. Now, what I mean by that is I knew I was saved. I I had a a desire for Jesus. I had this desire to love Jesus more. I had a hate for my sin, the things that I used to do in the past. And I had this growing desire to know him. And I had this growing dislike of things that I've done before. So I knew that I was saved. I knew that God has done something in my life. But as I grew in Christ, I continued for some reason to struggle with this idea of the power of what really happened in my life. Like what really took place in me. Now, my story is probably not going to be like your story, and that's okay. But I want to challenge us that if we peel back the layers of the, the, the surface of what my story is and your surface, at the end of it, behind it all, it's really all the same. Now, I want to explain that a little bit. I was born and raised, you guys know, in Park Slope. Uh, it's a fairly uh, 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 safe neighborhood. I grew up with both my parents, three brothers. My father worked hard enough and was blessed to be able to raise me and my brothers in our own home in Park Slope. Prior to moving to Park Slope, my parents did rent an apartment um, in the projects at Red Hook, but from age 1 all the way through high school, even up until age 20 when I finally got married, finally 20, got married and moved out for three years, lived in Bay Ridge, and now we're back in Park Slope. All that to say that we've been in this neighborhood, safe neighborhood, fairly my entire life. At age 7, I started playing baseball on a travel team. Um, That just meant that we left New York quite a bit. Played in many tournaments throughout my years, um, and that also just meant that my father paid a lot of money for me to play baseball. All right, a lot of money was poured out on equipment and on this um, on registration and to travel every summer uh, outside of New York all over the place. Uh, My because of my commitment to baseball, I spent most of my childhood on the baseball field in school back home baseball in school back home. That just meant there that I really had not much time to really get involved in the community or hang out outside with friends. Occasionally we would have a sleepover, but really not too much time spent outside uh, hanging out in, outside of my neighborhood or going over to friends' houses or whatnot. I attended school from kindergarten all the way through high school, basically right in my neighborhood again. All right? For kindergarten, for elementary school, middle school, the walk from my house to the school was about five-minute walk. About a five-minute walk, okay? High school, maybe 15 minutes walk. The high school I went to was a private Catholic school. Which meant what? My father had to pay for all that. all right, And that cost money. I played high school baseball there as well. So that cost additional uh, money for, to register to play on the team. Now why am I sharing all this? Not to brag about my upbringing. Not to make you feel bad because I doubt anyone here feels bad about my upbringing. Right? But I actually I wanted to share that because all that I just shared, my upbringing, actually caused me to struggle to understand my salvation. It really caused me to struggle with that. Now, of course, my childhood wasn't perfect. It might seem that way from what I just uh, explained, but it wasn't perfect. I right? went through the, the, the average you know, family disputes, siblings, disagreements, and you know, my, my brothers and I had to be taught you know, how to be obedient. My family would have its struggles. But what I'm trying to say is that, again, I didn't grow up in a negative, uh, involved in negative street influences. My neighborhood, again, was fairly quiet, didn't get involved in any gang violence, and I lived with both my parents. Now this caused me to struggle why? Because I didn't understand, and I want to bring this point in, I didn't understand that in order for anyone, anyone that means me, you, anyone here for, in order for any one of us to be made alive, verse five in our text, we had to first go through verses one, two and three. I was saved, I knew that, I knew I understood I was a sinner. I knew that I needed Jesus to save me, but what I struggled with later on in my faith was the wonder and the power that it took to save me. Because at the end of the day, when I go to the youth retreats after being saved, and the most powerful times of those, of those retreats were usually the, the testimony time, right? Where the the speaker would have this incredible testimony where God has brought him out of some horrific... Uh, 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 struggles, gang violence and, and drug abuse and fatherless homes and single parenting and you know, extreme poverty and all this stuff that, 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 would, that God has rescued that person from and it, was, it would fill the room with great amazement and all the youth would run up to the altar and, and would cry out and there was so much going on and, and this you know obviously caused praise that was rightly due to God but inside for me, what it began to do to me was doubt, man, the power of that saving really wasn't that big of a deal right? It really wasn't uh, 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 of that much that God has saved me from. And honestly, it caused me to look at my story and how God saved me um, and think it wasn't significant. wasn't as powerful or impacting as others. I began to cheapen my salvation. What I didn't realize was that I, what I really struggled with was a correct and complete understanding of my position before Christ and the power that it took me to be saved. Now, I think in this room, I'm not the only one who probably struggles with this or is struggling with it now. All right, perhaps you struggle with this today. You don't view the work God has done in your life or is doing in your life as, as much of a big deal. Or maybe this isn't your struggle. right? You, you, you don't struggle with what, you've got, what God has taken you out of. You know that you, have much, you had much hurt and pain and abuse and God, you know that God has brought you out of that. But your struggle is this. Your struggle is understanding that the power behind saving you is powerful enough to continue the good work that he's done in your life. And Maybe that's your struggle. Maybe your struggle is, man, God has brought me out of all this and I know it, but I'm not sure if he's continued to walk faithfully with me. I don't know if that power really can continue to hold me, and continue to move me forward in this life with Christ. Maybe that's because it comes from a constant battle over a particular sin in your life. You're you're struggling constantly with this particular sin and it's causing you to struggle. Or perhaps maybe your struggle is with the assurance of salvation. Regarding the assurance of your salvation, I read something put this way, and I want to read it. I thought it was nicely written. It says, "In a world, in a world filled with sin, the flesh, and the devil, assurance of salvation is the soft feather bed on which the Christian rests. Assurance proves to, the, to be one of the greatest benefits of the Christian faith, and the rightful inheritance of the child of God. In its enjoyments are found peace, hope, and joy, unsurpassed in this fallen world." Your assurance, perhaps, should be bringing you today uh, uh, unspeakable joy and a true sense of peace, but maybe that's not you today. Maybe you struggle with truly uh, understanding that God, God is with you, God loves you, and that his power that has caused you to be made alive uh, is still at work with you, and that he's promising to bring, up, bring what he started to, to, to completion. And so that's your struggle, is that you don't really, you struggle with this, you don't have peace, you don't have joy that all of us should have as Christ followers. Lastly, prior your struggle is just to understand that the power behind to make you a Christian, it all stems from the American culture we now live in today with this focus on the centrality of man, right? man's sovereignty, that we somehow can make our own decisions and that we, we, we cause everything to work the way we want and so that somehow goes into our spiritual lives and we're the captain of our own ship. So even within the church and in our spiritual life, spirituality, we, we are taught things like, hey, you can make a decision. Just ask Jesus into your heart. It's your choice. Just go ahead and ask God, invite Jesus into your hearts. And the truth is that you and I really cannot make those decisions. And so that's why I want to look at closer today through these first five verses in Ephesians 2 is the power behind that made us alive. What is the power that caused you and I to wake up this morning and say, Jesus, thank you. I love you. What power was behind us seeing today this morning as Tiffany led us, and we can say, God, you are good. Is that in us? What power behind to make us coheirs with Christ? What power was behind adopting us into sons and daughters in His family? Paul reminds us in this first five verses, and so I'm going to go ahead and now start breaking it down. So if you're going to take notes, this is when we're going to get going in our notes. Before Christ, Ephesians 2:1 says, "You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked." First point, before Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead in your trespasses and sins. Before Christ, all of us, no matter the story behind it, no matter your upbringing, no matter whether you grew up with two parents, with one, no matter the economic situation, no matter your schooling, no matter what you went through, all of us were dead. Before Christ, we were dead. The Greek word that Paul uses for dead here is negros. Which literally means a corpse or a dead body. Now, this is significant. Why? Because we all need to know that before Christ, you and I, we were all spiritually dead. We walked around, though, physically alive. We walked around uh, 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 this world thinking that we can make choices. But the truth is just like a dead body, you can't do anything to cause yourself to be made alive. Your condition was hopeless, you were dead. Nothing that you could do could raise yourself, from this, raise yourself to life. You, you couldn't do anything for your situation. You're spiritually dead. You're incapable of recognizing your condition or even correcting it. So you walk around dead not knowing you're dead and you can't do anything about that. You're dead. You're dead. No power in yourself to make anything new. No power to make a new creation out of something that was dead. Verse 2 goes on. It says, and you were once dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. So before Christ, we were dead and also puppets of this world. You and I think that we have control of our lives, right? We're taught that we have control of our lives. But the truth that Paul's bringing out is that we have no control over our lives. We don't. Prior to Christ saving us, we are without Christ today. Or if you're without Christ today, you're like a puppet that's just following the course of this world. That means everyone prior to Christ, walking spiritual dead was just normal. It was universal. We're all dead. And we're all just walking around this world dead, thinking that we can make decisions, but we're spiritually dead, continuing to walk in the course of the world, incapable of bringing ourselves uh, to life. Apart from the work of Christ, you remain dead in your trespasses and sins. Point two. Or number two, before Christ, you were subject to the rule of Satan. You were subject to the rule of Satan. Ephesians 1, going 1 through 2, completing that, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Following the prince of the air. This means that the problem we have, again, was outside of ourselves. We have no control over it. You're born spiritually dead. You're walking around this world, following this world, the rest of the world, and our hearts before Christ is being ruled by who? It's being ruled by sin. It's tough to swallow, ain't it? It's tough to swallow. I know that that, that it's tough, but I'm telling you, it's crucial to understand that this is all of us. We are all there at one point. Or worse, perhaps you're there today right now. Before Christ, we were dead, we have an enemy outside of ourselves in the world and in the system, and we have a very real enemy in Satan. Now, I love that Paul describes Satan here as the prince of the power of air. What does that mean? It's actually very deep because air—he's describing it as the prince of the air. Where's air? Where do we find air? All around us, right? It's everywhere. It's in our rooms, it's in our workplace. The air we breathe in is everywhere we go. What is Paul bringing out to us? Air is everywhere and so is our enemy. It's a cringing reality that we are in constant warfare everywhere, every day and we can't escape that. So this idea that we spiritually dead people can still somehow control our lives, make our own decisions to bring ourselves to life is totally foolish, and dangerous. You were dead following the course of this world. You're being ruled by Satan. It's a hopeless state. Before Christ, Paul continues on, and he tells us that before Christ, we're bound by fleshly desires. That's number three. Bound by fleshly desires. Picking it up, Ephesians 2, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Dead enemies in the world and insane. We're sons of disobedience. That means we, this is who we were before Christ by nature. And we're bound by our fleshly desires. We are bound by our fleshly desires. We're unable to stop being rebellious towards God. Without his power. So yes, we have an enemy in the world in Satan, but guess what? This is letting us know a different aspect. Paul's saying, you have an enemy in this world, this world system you live in. Everyone is following the course of this world. That's an enemy, right? You're born a child. You're born sinful. Uh, You have a very real enemy who's everywhere in Satan. But guess what? You also have an enemy in yourself. You are sons of disobedience. You have an enemy in yourself. Number four, Paul continues to hammer this. He's saying, hey, before Christ, you were also deserving of God's wrath. Point four, before Christ, deserving of God's wrath. Among whom, verse three, we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, were what by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Before Christ, everyone seated here, before Christ, was subject to the just anger of God. By nature, we're children of God, uh, wrath. By nature, we're children of wrath. That's our state before Christ. None of us can escape it. When sin entered the world through Adam, we're born sinners, unable to save ourselves. And what does the Bible teach? The penalty of sin is what? Death Everyone is subject to the just punishment of the, and wrath of God. And all of what we just went through, man, all of it, the first four points we went through is just to make it clear that for us to, to be made alive, it took something outside of ourselves. It took resurrection power to get you and I saved. And this is the good news. Verse 4, if there ever was a, a place for a but God in there, I think following these three verses the perfect place paul says this but god what but god being rich in mercy part two of our notes so if you flip your bullet your notes to the back but god is rich in mercy verse four but god being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved so Paul, in the previous three verses, paints this very hopeless portrait of the human, our situation, to then point us to God's gracious and merciful response to all of it. Don't you love, love again, if there's a but God right here, opening uh, v- verse four. God took action. God acted in a rich mercy towards, to, towards us to save us. It was because of his rich mercy, not your works, not my works, nothing that we can do of our own. We just went through that in the first three verses. We needed resurrection power to save us. God in his rich mercy. But God too has great love for us. He has great love for you, great love for me, great love for us. He determined to save us. We didn't earn any of it. That's why in verse 4 continues to say, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, Paul again brings it up. That you were dead, it was because of his rich mercy and great love that he has saved us. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hear this truth, brothers and sisters. If you hear anything today, hear this. God's love for you came from his very own will. He loves you. There is nothing that you did for it. He just loves you and that's it. Every possibility of us taking part in our own salvations removed. Our very own ability to save ourselves alive is shot impossible. God being rich in his mercy and great love for you has made you alive. Point three. But God makes us alive with Christ. God makes us alive in Christ. That's how you and I got saved. It took resurrection power. He has made us alive in Christ. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power, the same resurrection power that makes us alive. Jesus' resurrection from the dead and Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father now applies to you and I in Christ. What a remarkable work of God that is. Keeping in mind verses 1 through 3 in the hopeless dead state we are in and seeing that God makes us alive in verses 4 through 6, 5 we're reading now is a remarkable work of God. And verse 6 goes on. We're not covering it, but I wanted to throw it in. It tells us that we too have been raised up with Christ, seated with him in the heavenly places. In verse 7, why did he do this? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's that song we sang, you are kind forever, right? You are good forever. And I love that Paul, again, brings it up. We were dead, but Christ made us alive. It's absolutely clear that naturally you and I don't seek after the true God. You and I don't seek after the true God. It was literally his power that has made you and I alive. That's why Paul elsewhere in 2 Corinthians writes this. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we know it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In Christ, you have been made new. You have been raised to life. And all of this because of his grace. Our final point. But God saved us by grace. Saved us by grace. we we'll read verses uh, 4 through 5 again. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved it is by grace brothers and sisters that he has saved us that's why i opened my story earlier today while my story was different from you it will matter though the struggles of the unique circumstances that you and i have gone through we all have a powerful testimony to share in the power behind our salvation The big point again was what today? That the work of God to save you and I required great power. Required great power. Now before I wrap this up, I do want to spend some time here maybe speaking to those of you here who need desperately this resurrection power to save you. You need desperately and it is my responsibility, it is our responsibility to lovingly urge one and lovingly urge those who don't know this resurrection power to plead for the mercy of God. Now, there's a lot going on in this world. There's a lot going on in our nation. There's a lot going on in your life, possibly. The hurt and struggling, a lot of suffering that's going on today. But I want to tell you that none of this compares to the suffering awaiting in hell for those who die apart from Christ. And I want to be clear, as Paul was clear in our text today, that if you are not in Christ, you are dead. And nothing that you do in your own power can change that condition. Throw yourself today at the feet of Christ. You are by nature a child of wrath. Flee from that and run into his loving arms. He is rich in mercy and great in love. And he is gracious to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. First John 1.9 says this, if, you confess us, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. You heard the bad news today, but you've also heard the good news. The good news that God in his rich love and his great love and rich mercy sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to take our punishment. The wrath that we deserve as children of wrath, he poured it out on Jesus at the cross. God in rich mercy has chosen chosen to redeem us to the Father. He has chosen to adopt us as sons and daughters and to allow us to enjoy his goodness forever and ever. The Bible calls you and I to repent of your sins. It basically means just to turn from your sins, to turn from your fleshly desires that we are, 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 are gripped by, to place our trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, meaning that he's the one that gets all the glory. He's the one that we run to. He's the one who's in control of our lives. He's Lord over our lives. And I pray today that that work of God that it takes will happen in your life today. I pray that God will soften your heart, that is hardened and cause it to be made alive and cause us to walk in obedience to him. And if you are alive today, just know that it took an incredible work of God. And so when you pray and when you worship God, just do so knowing that it's him in you, that his work that that he's done in you caused you to to be made new, to to pray and even speak the words that we speak and to sing the songs that we sing and to lift our hands and to bow our knees before this God. He has done an incredible work work in our lives and no matter what we're going through no matter what's going on around us the struggles even in this church plant brothers and sisters that God has done something incredible in our lives and so in the midst of whatever struggles happens here we can worship Him and we can celebrate because we were dead and now we are alive so I just want to close with that and I want us to pray together um, as we just praise God and thank Him uh, for the work that He's done in our lives that none of it None of it was insignificant. None of it was worthless. None of it uh, uh, took a uh, simple work, but all of it took the power of God, the resurrected power of Jesus to cause us to be made new and alive. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God. Thank you that today, Lord God, we stand here, Father, because of your grace on our lives, God, your love that you poured out on us. God, we thank you that, Lord, we were once dead, Father. We know that we, we were once in that state, God. And, and Father, we thank you that it took your power, that you chose to call us out, that you caused our hearts to be made, give us a, a heart of flesh, God. As Ezekiel says it, Lord God, we had a heart of stone, but Jesus, you've given us a heart of flesh. You've, you've caused us to walk. You've caused us to be made alive. And so, Father, I pray with my brothers and sisters here today, God, that we would continue to walk, Lord God, Lord, and, and proclaim the good news and, and speak of your, your, your love, Father. Help us, God, as a church to do that, Lord. Help us to, to remember, oh God, the power that you poured out in our lives, God, and remember that that same power is still at work in our lives and that you are faithful and you are good, Lord, to bring it to completion, God, that we will have struggles. And, God, the struggles in our lives do not mean that, Father, we are not with you, but, Lord, that you are with us. And, God, we will continue faithfully to walk, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you're kind for us. We thank you that you're merciful for us. We thank you that it never changes, God. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for these fat past couple of weeks, God, as we've looked into your word, God, and, and, and you've taught us and you've reminded us, God, of who we are in you, Father. Let us not forget that, Father. God, thank you. And I pray, Lord, with my brothers and sisters, carry us, Lord. Continue to cause us to walk in obedience, to walk, Lord God, faithfully, loving. In honoring Jesus Christ, our Savior. In your precious name, I pray and we pray. Amen.